Hello, I'm Nick Baker, and this is the UK Wildlife Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the UK Wildlife Podcast with me, Victoria Hillman. And me, Neil Phillips. And for this episode, we've got a very special guest, Xander, and some of you may know him as, as Ant Boy. So, you know, well, welcome. Hi, Xander. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, very well, thank you. So we're just going to kick off with a bit of podcast news. I think, Neil, you've got our latest downloads. Yeah, we're up to 12,500 downloads now, so it's, it's all going well. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thank you to everyone that's been interacting with us across the social media platforms as well. It's um, Apologies if we've not got back to you so much this last week. Both Neil and I have been pretty busy, which is great, but we will, we will kind of get back and answer messages and that when we get round to it. So I think what we'll do is we'll move straight on to sightings. I will kick off with a couple of sightings. There's not huge numbers from me, so it will be quick. Really enjoying seeing a lot more red kites around Froome at the moment. I actually had one fly over my back garden again the other day. So it's it's I'm seeing them probably almost weekly now, which is, is really great to see. Uh, with the rain that we finally had um, the other week, uh, my first frogler emerged from the pond. So the class of 2020 is finally starting to leave the pond. Uh, just the other day, had a small skipper butterfly appear in my garden, landed on my monster knapweed um, for a little bit and then flew off mm. again. And one last thing, because it's become a bit of a fix on the um, episodes over the last few weeks, is my orchid update. And I can now tell you that flower number nine opened overnight. So I now have nine flowers on my bee orchid. And I can say it's also getting very tricky to try and get all nine of them in the same photo. But it's got one more bud to open, then that will be it. But it looks like I might be able to get it with all 10 flowers in various stages. Nice. be pretty cool. So how about you, Neil? What have you been seeing? I've managed to get out a couple of times since the last podcast. I've both to private sites actually. First one is a old mitigation site. I've allowed a nice pond, all nice clean water. Um, found some nice things. The highlight for me would have been the nymph of a water stick insect. It's only a centimetre long. These things get sort of five centimetres long, which is really cool. I did some night pond dipping. Actually, that was on a public reserve, but there's no one else there. And I found some Turkish crayfish, which was a first for me, which is not great for the lake, but, you know, a nice tick. Garden-wise, I've had emerging frogs, much to the delight of my four-year-old, who needs <laughs> to pick a couple up. Uh, we had some heavy rain here a few days ago, and they they came out en masse. And the next day, there was quite a lot around. And last night in the garden, I, I haven't told you about this, Vic, um, I was I topped up my bird feeder because it looked a bit low. And as I turned round on my path, a sparrowhawk nearly hit me in the face. <laughs> Oh, wow. <laughs> I, I, I flinched ducked kind of thing. And it flew over my head. Uh, I went straight into um, the hedgerow at the end of my garden. And sort of, I think it was a juvenile from the colours. And it's, you know, <laughs> less than amazing flying ability. I should say, it still managed to miss me. So it wasn't that bad. Um, I think it came so close because it was going under the washing line. Uh, and I'm quite short, so I'm shorter than the washing line. And lastly, I guess uh, yesterday I had a quick trip up uh, to a private nature reserve. There's a few nice bits around. I found some dragonflies, scorpion flies, which are a favourite of mine. But the highlight was uh, I went down very last thing. It's probably about seven in, in the evening, and I noticed a few mayflies flitting around. I grouped about four or five of them. So I got my camera out and started doing some slow motion video of them. And I was 
playing around and then as I started to turn around the sun was I was looking into the sun I could see more and more appearing and there must have been about a hundred wait or hundreds of mayflies in the end flying over this nettle bed next to a river Uh, it's absolutely beautiful I've got some lovely footage hopefully I've got I've put a clip online already and that's the highlight so far Xander what what have you what have you seen recently Things that we've been noticing. One of them was in our uh, garden. We found uh, we've got a new family of siskins, six oh, new siskins that we've found get into our garden, which is always uh, a good sign. Who have we've had bullfinches and goldfinches visiting our garden as well before, but it was nice to see a new family starting to take off from the bird feeders. We've found uh, a new site for the narrow-headed ant, which is a rare ant oh. in National Park. I'm in the uh, Kimberley National Park. It's an amazing place, uh, one of the biggest national parks uh, in 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 the UK. So it's filled with loads of wildlife. Such such an amazing place. And in it, there's loads of our species, as I was saying, like the narrow-headed wood ant. There's also we also found a uh, shiny guest ant, which is another oh, very very rare ant, which is actually it's coming out very early than mm. we thought it would. So this is a lot earlier. So it's trying to see him. Um, if it stays out until it's meant to actually be out or it's just going to be out during this time and then head back head back into the nest where it normally is during this time of year we're also um, starting to see loads of small tortoiseshell butterfly caterpillars on nettles on nettle patches there's loads of them these big black swarms of these caterpillars it's really cool to see that that's their cycle started and then not too long um, next year we'll start to see the new batch of the, the butterflies coming out which is always a Really nice to see when you see your first small shell butterfly flying around you. Oh, actually, so you see shiny guest ants. You find about any trouble, and the rest of us are all trying to look. We'll talk more about them later on, I'm sure. Mm. Right. Well, that's everyone's latest sightings, I think. Unless anyone's thought of something else, uh, I've saw some. I don't know if they're peacock or small tortoise shell. I haven't actually ID'd them yet on some nettles as well. So, shall we go on to the news? Yeah, we've got. Well. One not so great news story and a couple of more positive news stories and then one one that we're actually going to just quickly chat about, but it's not actually a news story per se. So I think, mm. should we start with the bad one? Yeah, let's get it out of the way. Out of the way. So um, earlier in the year, uh, we, we have actually, we did share this on our social media sites, but it's been found that from three different sites in the Peak District, peregrine falcon eggs have actually been taken from the nests. They believe it's actually possibly taken uh, when all the volunteers were forced into lockdown during, uh, due to the pandemic. And obviously there was no one keeping an eye on these nests and they believe that's when the thefts have actually happened. Um, they, as it stands, they are investigating, um, but it looks like they were actually stolen to be hatched possibly for um, falconry purposes. The next story is a bit more positive. I'm going to do the mountain hare story because that was really cool. There was a vote in the Scottish National Parliament on mountain hares culling now basically until oh well I'd probably still can for a little bit longer but they could basically shoot mountain hares as much as they like and for those that have looked into this at all you'll know that they literally were shooting truckloads of them pile them up on the back of a pickup and there's been a voluntary moratorium on shooting them in some areas which has been completely ignored it seems and a study came out, I think it was last year that claimed that we've lost 99% of our mountain hares, which is rather worrying that you're allowed to shoot them. They can breed, well, like hares or rabbits, <laughs> but, <laughs> but uh, it, you know, they sh- basically the argument for shooting them was that they carry ticks that carry diseases that can affect red grouse. And again, it's these 
driven grouse mores again, trying to intensively farm grouse effectively involved shooting all the manheads. From now on, well, from when the legislation comes in, they'll have to have a license to do it, which on paper looks like good news. But with the beavers in Scotland, something similar happened. They brought in, you had to have a license to shoot them. And then they gave the licenses out like candy on Halloween to farmers and landowners, it seems. And that was probably another news story. I can't remember the exact figures, but it was something like a fifth of all the beavers in Scotland were allowed to be shot last year legally. Quite shocking, really. Although, again, they can breed quite a lot. Yeah, it's a whole other big issue for another episode, I think. Yep. Sandra, being that you are literally in the middle of the area with all these grouse moors and mountain hares, um, I guess you were quite happy about that news as well. Yeah, it's good how it's all been uh, stopped up here in the Cairngorms. That's one good thing about it, how we're now being able to see all the mountain hare, which we normally see if you do go up on the mountain seeing them going around we've also got rabbits and stuff that we see running around all over the place uh, down on the lower um, lower ground i've got some other news stories though that i've um, found as well two million pounds has been donated from national lottery to the cairngorms national park for capercaillie restoration and uh, protection because 50 percent of all cap of the cap of the scottish capercaillie population live up here in the Cairngorms National Park so it's a very very important thing that we protect it up here and so that two million pounds donated will definitely help us uh, protect them and do everything we need to to try and save them and I think how I was mentioning about the narrow-headed wood ant earlier on one thing that's happening with that is that cliff bar so the energy bar has Mm -hmm. donated a hundred thousand pounds to help move and really relocate these ants to a better habitat so obviously this is another amazing amount of money which will greatly help us ensure that this ant has a safe future and it's getting to stay in in the habitat that it needs to and it's being able to thrive once again as it is only found up here and in one site in devon in the whole of the uk that is pretty much it so it is a very rare ant and it's definitely worth protecting that's, that's that's two really good news stories you know yeah. it's it, it's nice to have some good news stories actually because quite often a lot of the news stories we end up covering are not so happy so it, it's good to have some good good stuff going on there as well and yeah. and we've got another one actually which again is actually um it, it's really for scotland and it's about salmon farmers and they're actually going to be banned from shooting seals and there's going to be tougher controls on the acoustic devices that they use to scare them off. Now, as always, a lot of these stories have a lot more to them, but we have put the links if you want to kind of have a bit more of a read around them. But, you know, I, th- I think it's it's some of them might only be baby steps, but I think they're baby steps in the right direction. Well, some of them are quite... Yeah, I think... <laughs> some of them are quite big steps, well, but because, yeah. I think that's quite good. I've heard stories now, obviously pinch of salt but uh, i'll show you one of them was on country farm again probably still pinch of salt a uh, years ago about cause basically the government gives you grants to set up salmon farms in locks on the coastline and there was a case where someone had to shut down his seal watching business because the salmon farmer set up in the same lock or area of coastline he was in put a salmon farm right next to a seal colony and then every seal that swam over they shot it and eventually there was no seals left oh, for him wow. to run a business anymore and you just think they're putting a local man out of business for some big company running a seal farm which isn't really what the idea of these grants are yes it, they do provide jobs as well so you put, you put it in balance but that just seemed like a ridiculous situation to me good news that that's been stopped and i think you're going to for once you're going to finish on a negative story and have a bit of yeah, a laugh yeah yeah this is a rarity because i normally finish the news on a good story but i'm actually going to finish it on a bit of a it's a bit of a shocking story actually and it's something that 
is is quite close to my heart you know it's um and this year talking to a lot of different people you know friends um colleagues and it seems to be that although we've seen a large number of bee orchids this year it does certainly seem to have been a really good year for them unfortunately the theft of wild bee orchids seems to have gone through the roof as well and this is people digging them up from the wild um which they're I mean, they are a protected species. And I know most of these people would do them under the cover of darkness, but it's, you know, people have gone out one day, they found a bee orchid and thought, oh, well, you know, I'll go back and maybe I'll photograph it the next day or two days later. And they've gone back just to find big holes in the ground. Now, the reality is that the people that have stolen these bee orchids, the chances of them actually surviving are very, very slim because with our bee orchids, they self-pollinate. Um, the majority of them will only flower once in, in their lifetime and it takes about seven years for them to flower. So it it's a bit of a pointless exercise, really. Chances of them actually going to seed it and then you know producing more orchids in, in future years once they've been taken out of the ground is 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 pretty pretty slim. But it's something that, you know, maybe because it's just not the number of people out there, you know, wardens haven't been out on sites because of being, you know, in lockdown or being furloughed. They've not been allowed to work. But it's it's something that definitely has been on the rise this year, you know, across the country. And, you know, I would say that if if you've experienced any of this or, or you have any details of it, you can report it to your local wildlife crime officer, because that's what we've done here in Somerset in the past when, you know, orchids have been stolen. So so there we go. That, that's me done. I'm I'm gonna leave it there um. oh, too positive <laughs> there's yeah. another negative story but we're on, on the hen harrier brood meddling but we're going to save that for another episode i think that's all negative stuff out of the way we have xander the ant boy himself on the show mm-hmm. thanks for coming on the show xander once again how should we start i guess do you want to explain who you are what you do etc sure. yes yeah, so um as you said i'm xander aka ant boy so I live in the majestic Cairngorms National Park, which is home to over 5,000 recorded species of wildlife. So that's everything from, as I was saying, capercaillies to the smallest of insects. So it's a really special place. And I uh, moved here to the Cairngorms National Park almost six years ago as I was living in Edinburgh. So wasn't a lot of wildlife. It was a lot of, it was a big difference when we moved up here and it was such an amazing difference it was a best move it's the best choice that we made ever and it was the whole thing is um the whole time that I, I wanted to get into nature since we moved up I saw how amazing this place was I heard all these stories about all the nature that was here I wanted to get into it and what better way was um there was an event coming up called the Cairngorms National Park Big Weekend event so this event is hosted every year and it has different events for all moth trapping to general things and the one that we went along to was learning how to identify different types of wood ants. So wood ants, uh, hence my name Ant Boy, is my main passion and I'm, I can definitely say I'm an expert of them. So this event was so good that I learned so much and I really wanted to get into nature. So from that point on I just started doing so much with the, the Cairngorms National Park, RSPB, Butterfly Conservation Scotland and quite a few other projects and from that point on I was just saying, I was just doing lots of serving for rare and endangered insects, including one of my main projects of rare invertebrates in the Cairngorms project. And yeah, I just, I just love it. I love the fact that I got the opportunity, which I've now hosted two of the big weekend events. I've been on TV several times. I've got a few different awards. 
best part about it is I'm getting to promote the importance of the little guys or the insects. Yeah, we always and do that honestly, on this show. Yeah, yeah, we're we're you know both Neil and I are massive fans of the little guys, so it's fantastic to actually have you on, Zandra. And you know another, and it's actually really great having a younger person on as well. Not saying that Neil and I are old, but mm-hmm. <laughs> <Speak for> <laughs> um, you know it's um it's really great to have like a young person on that is so passionate and inspiring when it comes to you know wildlife in general but also those those little creatures that just really need our help and they need I think they need more love than the big charismatic species because people don't see them in the same way you know it's but they're still incredibly fascinating you know I think they all I think a lot of invertebrates have their own little personalities anyway you know they're amazing they have the most incredible life cycles and you know some of them are just absolutely stunning as well so you know oh, yeah. we're, we're all for champions of the little things <laughs> and <laughs> we, we should mention oh i say we should mention that the, when we're recording and hopefully by the time i've edited it it is insect week this week so it is uh, national yeah. insect week so perfect week to have have you on as well yeah, yeah. we totally planned that <laughs> it's no way of coincidence yeah. <laughs> The whole reason why we celebrate this week is because yeah. insects are the foundation of the whole ecosystem. Mm. Without them, nothing would survive, including us. They feed all these bigger animals that we see as such amazing species. And if we're trying to protect them, we've got to protect their food source, which is the insects. The insects do everything from feeding larger, larger mammals, from protecting the forests. They pollinate the food sources up uh, so the farmers can create the food that we like to eat. It's everything. They do pretty much everything and people would walk past them without even noticing that there's an extremely rare species just underneath their nose, literally underneath their nose. There's something that could be possibly a once in a lifetime experience. People just overlook it and it's just making sure people recognise insects and invertebrates for the, the importance and the amazing creatures that they actually are. Yeah, yeah you've, uh, well, <laughs> you've got no arguments here. Definitely no, no arguments. <laughs> so Xander, for you, what you've mentioned a few already, but what are the wildlife highlights of the Cairngorms for you? So one of the main big highlights about the Cairngorms National Park nature for me is one of my favourite ants, and it's called the Shining Guest Ant. So this ant is the rarest ant in Cairngorms, as it's on the Scottish Biodiversity List, and it's one of the UK Biodiversity Action Plan priority species. So it's got a big name for itself, unlike its size. It is a very small ant. Imagine the normal size of ant that you've seen in the garden, half that at least. That's the size of this ant. And it's not very well understood. That's the problem. And this may be due to the lack of study, but there's not that much known about it. So we don't know if it could be all over the place or it is just a very rare species. It's got a very, it's this whole thing, the name's actually very interesting, the shining guest ant. And it's the whole thing how they have a shiny coat that's distasteful. So that's it's covering the whole body. So if a wood ant bites into it, they leave it alone and just let it go on its uh, way. And it needs to have this coat because of the guest part from its name. So it lives inside wood ants nests. So in Scotland, it's found in the Scottish and Northern hairy wood ant. And it lives in a small twig in colonies of about 10 to 20. So it's a very small colony due to the size of the ant however there can be multiple per wood ants nests showing that there is quite a few of them and as i mentioned earlier on it they are coming out a lot earlier than they expected could be due to the sudden rise of warm weather or something like that but they're out a lot earlier than they should be 
So it's, it will be good to see if they're still out by the time that they're actually meant to be out or if they've taken this time, th- these few months, as a time that they're meant to be out and then it just knocks them all off their cycle. So when are they, when should they be out in a normal year? When would you expect them to kind of be out? About August and September is when, when they're meant to be out. So Oh, wow, so, so it's a good few months early yes. then. Mm, it's wow. quite, quite a lot. There's a big shock to us when we had found it on the, the nest when we were just looking for it. It wasn't even we weren't looking for the out because we thought we wouldn't find it. But we did, and we were so surprised that we'd found it. It was, it was just, uh, it was almost scary. Yeah. Seeing how because I, I mean, I know like this year we've seen a lot mm. of things have been early this year because we had mm. such a warm, dry, you know, at times hot spring. We know that a lot of things have been, you know, maybe one or two weeks early. But you know, you're yeah. talking about a few months early here. Yeah, that does. I know oh, this is probably a big leap. But I know a lot of species that have one life cycle in this country have two where it's warmer in southern Europe if they exist there as well. God, who knows if something like that's going on? You just Yeah. Yeah. Mm. It's, it'd be interesting to see if they come out again in August, September, or perhaps September, October, because they've, oh, everything's shifting. Well, it's going to be interesting to see what happens there, mm. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. We'll just be, so there's, we'll be uh, relying uh, on you for an, for an yeah. update. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll put that on the show, I think. So you've mentioned the narrow-headed ant. So is, is that a species of wood ant or is it related to them? I've never so, quite worked that one out myself. The narrow-headed wood ant is, in fact, a wood oh, ant. It's, it's just it referred to as the narrow-headed ant, but it yeah. is one of the three species of wood ants in the Cairngorm. So it's the, well, it's the least common of the three and it is the smallest of the three. And as I was saying, it's only found up here and in one second dem. So it is a rare ant. Not as rare as Shining Guest Ant, but it's still worth protecting. So, as I think it's a wood ant, but it can be told apart by a few things. It's smaller, shinier, slender, and hence its name, it's got a dimple on its head, which you need a hand lens to be able to see. So, it's, um, it's, it's, it's as I said, it's another rare species, and along with the Shining Guest Ant, it is going to be part of the uh, next year's Cairngorms National Park Wood Ant Strategy. So, this is a strategy that's going to be put together by a bunch of volunteers. Uh, trying to look for wood ants and a part of that they'll be doing narrow-headed wood ant hence seeing as it is a wood ant as well as shining guest ant because it's related to wood ants because it lives in the nest so it's good that these species will be getting further looked after after um, some of the projects that they're in uh, uh, drop and then they'll still be looking after and we'll def- I'll definitely still be serving for them and I'll have to keep you updated on some yeah, of these species. Do. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. The Cangorns is famous for some other species, isn't it? I don't want to say the normal people, but <laughs> the people that are, not, are less informed than us. We're going up for some of the, the more glamorous species. I mean, do you get red squirrels in your garden? Uh, no, we don't get red squirrels in the oh. garden, but it is only red squirrels that we got up here. We do not get grey squirrels. So this is one of the safe spots and one of the few places left, uh, especially in Scotland, which has only red squirrels left. So it's amazing that we still get them in one of our... Um, Cloth Lochs um, has got uh, feeders out for them, which you can see them early in the morning. We know people who've got them in the garden and actually find them, so it's it's a pretty cool thing. But to be honest with you, like deer, we see them and we go, oh, look, it's a red squirrel, or oh, yeah. look, it's a deer, because it's normal for us. But if someone who didn't live here came up, or someone from the city, they'd be totally amazed. So it's good to still see that something we find normal is still a pretty cool species for other people. Yeah, we, we've got... Um... Uh, there's none near you, Vic, is there, apart from unless you count Brownsea Island, which uh, is quite well. Well, Brownsea Island, it's it's. I mean, I I actually grew up in in Wimborne in Dorset, mm. so I actually ended up spending quite a lot of time 
and did a lot of trips over to Brownsea Island when I was growing up. So you know, I was really lucky in that respect that I got to see red squirrels kind of frequently at that point. I mean, see now living in Froome in Somerset, I'm I'm not that close to Brownsea Island anymore. I think, so I'm to think how old I was when I saw some. I think that I've, I must have been in me at university so i was definitely an adult by the time i saw them there's i literally driving past a minibus in the isle of white but they in the last five years they've introduced them to essex as an island called mersey island which is up in north essex and there's this tiny little island and they've introduced them there because they can keep the greys out quite easily so have you you must have seen ospreys right uh every year i guess do just flying around the locks as you drive around sometimes um, but have you seen white-tailed seagulls anything like that um I'm, I have, yeah i've seen uh both i've Ospreys are, they've got a lock near us, which they, they've got a nest near year. This year, me and my dad had actually signed up to be one of the people watching the ospreys for their nesting. But um, due to obviously lockdown, we, we weren't able to do that. But then luckily, they haven't actually nested this year. So oh, we've been sitting, yeah. sitting in a cold room from 10 o'clock at night till very late, um, watching for nothing pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I guess it is sort of a, a good side and all that, but um, yeah, but we've got loads of cool species as well, but it's the uh, white-tailed sea eagles um, as well as oh, so much, there's so much rare species. Uh, what, something I have to ask you is, have you ever managed to come across a Boris scorpion fly, the snow flea scorpion flies? Have you ever found any of those? Um, I, well, I haven't come and encountered with them. I haven't seen them yet, but we do know that they are up in the yeah. Gorham's mountain range. So we do know that they are there, and that is definitely on the top of our list. Yeah, um, I can, I, I've had a look myself, <laughs> but no yeah. luck. Yeah, we've also got stuff that I just forgot to mention. We've also got pine martens up here, which is a really oh, amazing, yeah. um, amazing um, thing. It's almost like, it's like a big weasel, almost a land otter, you could say. It's, a, it's an amazing species, and it's so cool how it'll steal eggs and it's so um so maneuverable how it can just go up trees it's just it, again we've never seen it because they're um they're, they're nighttime creatures but it's an amazing species and it's another one like the capricale which we're just so grateful to have up here and to be able to say oh, we're home to pine martens which is it's an amazing thing to be able to say so yeah, they, not... they are absolutely yeah. stunning mammals. They're so beautiful. I've been lucky enough to see them when I've been when I've been working up in Scotland. Obviously not on the island I was working on, but we made trips to the mainland. When we had time off, we would go and explore, you know, other parts of Scotland. And I think I made it over to Cairngorms once during that trip. And then the only other time I've been, it was in the middle of winter, so um, <laughs> it was pretty cold. <laughs> I was very lucky. I was um, sitting down next to the River Nephi in Nephi Bridge, unsurprisingly. And I was looking at a dipper nest. Well, I was down the river from the river. I was right next to it and watching the chicks come out. And one day I was sat there and I saw what initially I thought was a cat run across far into the bridge up on the opposite side of the river. But it ran all wrong. It ran like a weasel type thing. And then I saw the towel as it disappeared into the bush. I literally saw it for a second, <laughs> but it can't have been anything else. You know, it was. Uh, oh, it was I'm I'm quite keen to see see them properly now, to be honest. So, have you managed Capacali at all? Yeah, we've um we've, we've seen them as well. We've see, you see them quite often whenever you're walking, yeah. and they fly across. And it's the course, yeah. the males. It's just they're, they're stunning, but you don't want to get in their way, or they will chase you. They will chase you oh. out of the area, and they will not stop. Uh, <laughs> I've never actually been chased by them, but we do have friends who have been, and it, oh, it's not it's not a good thing to be chased by one of the most um, ferocious birds that will attack you in, in the Cairngorms. It's not a best 
thing. It's, it's a cool story. You can tell the story for a long time and people will be interested. But for you, it's, it's, it's not that great of an experience. Yeah, no, they're, I, they're I, not exactly small birds, are they? <laughs> it's one of these species where uh, you've got to get hurt by it. You're not allowed to hurt it. Yeah, but it's um, it's mostly females that we've uh, seen as they're, they're, small, they're mostly smaller and less colourful as the male. But if a male's coming for you, you would know it. And it's, as I said, it's one of these species where you've got no choice but to stand there and yeah. let it peck at you or run. You're not allowed to do anything else because it is a protected species. But luckily the females aren't as ferocious and they will try to get your way because they're waiting for their um, the males to come along and protect them to, to show show the male's dominance. But um, <laughs> I guess it's, it's males, you, as I said, you don't see as often because they're normally uh, lacking, which is one of the cool things that they do. They uh, fan out their, uh, their tail feathers and then they start... They're doing this calling noise, which you can sometimes hear when you're going through the woods. If you hear this call, you know you've got to walk in the other direction. But um, but it, it's just an interesting thing to um, be able to see. And they're very, very, very special and interesting species of birds. Yeah, I mean, I know there's been a lot of issue from what I've read is disturbance of them, isn't it? So this when I went to see one, I made sure we stayed on the path and stuff. Um, in fact, the first time I went there, the first year I went there, I should say, uh, one of the, I think it was the warden at the time that was responsible for Capacali was there. So I knew he wasn't doing anything wrong because he would have told me <laughs> otherwise. And he was there showing his daughter it. Um, but yeah, they're amazing birds. But like you say, I wouldn't be on the wrong end of their beak. And that first time was the best time I saw it. I won't go into too much detail, but the second year I went there, there was a certain wildlife tour company behaving less than properly, shall we say, to make sure they got their clients what they wanted to see. But I, I won't go into any more detail than that. That beak that does a lot of things, it eats narrow-headed ants. That's one of the big food sources for capercaillie. Really? I think we should cull capercaillie then. <laughs> <laughs> Save the ants! Save the ants! Complete change of opinion. Um, but it's, it's, it's interesting, and it's the whole thing how they're actually a bit more humane than we think. They use footpaths that we create to get around the place yeah. it's uh, obviously that means means it's a lot easier than walking through heather and trees and all that stuff but it's interesting how to be honest with you some things that we do actually kind of benefit them but it's just a whole bit of mind-blowing and i found out that they actually eat now headed answers torn between it's a rare species you can't really get mad at it but it eats another rare species <laughs> that's one of my favorite rare species so Magic. The pie martins eat the old capcaillie chick as well, so uh, yeah. it sort of levels out, I guess, doesn't yeah. it? I, there was something I read uh, years ago about capcaillie. They they were fencing off areas to try and get the mature woodland, like with deer fences, to get the mature woodland growing. But the fences themselves were killing the capcaillie because they can't fly particularly well and were crashing into them or couldn't mm. see them or something. So it's funny we try and help, and sometimes we just make things worse. So it's uh, it's one of those things. The, the solution to that though is a lot of people especially up here they've been doing almost like orange colored plastic fences so it so the capricaly can actually see it because that's one of the main problems that we had up here with capricaly deaths is that the fences so they've colored the fences and since it's not metal if they did manage to hit it it wouldn't severely hurt them as it would if they hit barbed wire yeah. but they're still high enough to obviously stop things like from deer because it's the whole thing that is deer fences they were hitting into they can see wooden posts and they can fly over small barbed wire fences but it's the big ones that they can't see so it's stuff like that so it's really good that actually there has been a solution to doing this it's just making sure more fences where capacities in the area are like this so we're kind of moving away from that a little bit and it's actually something that i i'm kind of really interested to chat to you about Xander. and 
and that's kind of how you know obviously you're quite a bit younger than myself and Neil um, and you know we it's something we get asked a lot you know the questions come up you know so frequently for us how do you get more people enthused and involved with wildlife and nature and you know for for us I'm, I'm pretty sure Neil would, would agree with me here you know you're you know you're you're a perfect kind of role model mm-hmm. you know you're young but you're you're so enthusiastic but so infectiously enthusiastic yep. you know about wildlife and you know I know you know, we've chatted to you before and it's just how, how do we get more younger people involved and you know how did how did you get involved and you know how does it fit around you know your life I mean for Neil and I you know we're now adults uh, wildlife and nature very much you know it's our it's our professions it's our jobs it's our livelihoods but you're obviously you know you're still at school and you're still in that stage of going through school and that so how do you how did you get into it and how do you kind of balance it all and then you know how do we get more young people involved really I guess <laughs> well it's the whole thing how I was saying I was involved during the big weekend event and it was the whole thing how I always had a small passion for nature it's just something that I liked and something that I wanted to learn more about so it just so happened that moving up to the Cairngorms National Park opened up these opportunities for me to get into the world of nature but it's, it's obviously not the same for everyone else as, it, as I do say it is an age not as in not as in uh, saying anything about it old age but um same thing how when you're young when you're a young kid you love it you love worms you love creepy crawlies yeah. and bugs if you like it's the whole thing that that is so interesting because it's a new thing to younger kids when you get to high school about my age it's just not cool anymore to a lot of people I mean I love it but to a lot of people it's you're never the popular kid if you like nature but it's it's the whole thing how the simple things that you can use uh, that you can do to make more kids at least not necessarily interested or wanting to do it as a job but doing at actually going out and um, experiencing nature things like changing the school curriculum just now it's very based on what you need to have into going to college or university or anything like that it should be more about what what makes you have fun what kind of stuff do you enjoy so it's doing more stuff with nature and rather than teaching about plant cells and 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 biology which nobody really needs to know unless you want to be a proper scientist but it's uh, teaching stuff about how plants pollinate and chemistry show about pheromones and the the ways that different insects communicate and in physics don't talk about if a car hits a brick wall and what happens to that talk about insects flying and bees flying and butterflies flying talk about how that actually works stuff like that little changes like that make it interesting people will enjoy it and it's even little things like possible days out you get days out every now and again with the school just because that's what they do but it's stuff like if you go out for nature servings, if you head along to some of these rare insect ones, again, part of the curriculum, because if you said to someone, come on, head on to this nature survey, not a lot of people would sign up. But if you told them that uh, we're going along, then they might go along. See, it's actually fun because you get their drinks and cake and all that stuff. Maybe maybe <laughs> that reason, but it'd be good if they also enjoy the uh, the nature side of it and it's, it's all that stuff it's just making changes to the school the the school grounds because especially my school it's got a massive playing area which nobody uses it's got a rugby field it's got a running track it's got 
an area for kids just to run around on. You don't need all that. When instead you can make some of it into insect hotels, uh, beehives and stuff like that, but almost make it generation. So each year builds an insect hotel or the, the year coming into the high school builds an insect hotel. And by the time that they leave high school, they can see how their one developed and they can see all the other six years around the insect hotels that have recently been built. And it's just showing the importance of nature and insects because everybody loves these big birds. Everybody loves these mammals and deer and red squirrels. But it's the stuff that feeds them that's important. And one big thing, the, the main point that I've got to finish on is you've got to make it a competition. Nothing's yeah. fun for people my age unless it is a competition. Who can build the fastest but proper insect hotel? Who can find the most of this insect while on a survey? Who can tell me the three common types of wood ants? Stuff like this. And pe- people will enjoy that. People will find that, oh, I'm, I'm getting this whole thing. Up. I beat my classmate in doing that because I know about nature. Actually, nature is a pretty cool thing because I know a good bit about it. The more you know, the more interested you get in a topic. So it's just, it's just those few things. Well, I say few things. But things <laughs> like that. Which but, just but, a big difference. But they are they are simple things really as well when you look at it. You know, when you look at like getting a getting a year class to build a bug hotel or you know that they're, they're really in this big scheme of things, they really are quite simple. And and I completely agree with you about making it making the competition. And trust me, <laughs> it's not just your age, because when I was at university I did zoology with marine zoology and um our field courses for some of our modules were basically to go rock pooling for a day. So basically you take a group of uni students out to go rock pooling. That's your field course. <laughs> um, and you can imagine a group of um, like 19, 20 year olds and we're split into like little groups of, of four or five. And it was a massive competition as to who could find the most number of species by the end of the day. And then who could find, you know, an octopus or something else. And you know, even even now, you know, when I run run workshops, I love trying to have a, like a little competitions like, right, who's going to find the first butterfly? You know, who's going to find the first cricket or whatever? And I think even as adults, that that competition is still there and it it adds fun to it. Like you said, it's it's got to be enjoyable. You don't want to just sit there and, you know, hammer stuff at people, you know, and mm-hmm. that you've, you've got to give them the really cool stuff, the really interesting stuff. And I can guarantee it doesn't matter what age you are. If you serve cake at an event, you will attract anyone in. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's the whole thing just now how activists is a cool thing. Everybody's trying to get involved in school strikes, possibly because they just want to get out of school for a day. But it's, it's the whole thing. I am. I, I, I've always mentioned that n- being a naturalist is, I feel I get more out of that and, and giving stuff back to nature. I feel like I get... I impact nature a lot better than if I was being an activist. So if you can could could convert all these activists in a school and stuff to uh, continue doing what they're doing, but also think about the other point of view, the the naturalist side, going out and actually fixing the problem necessarily. It's stuff like that which would just totally wrap everything up, and people could totally see how you could do both. You can be an activist and still tell people about it but you can still be the person actually doing what you're saying for other people to do, which would just be even better. 
be an yeah, activist could, yeah. but understand the wildlife you're trying to save basically mm-hmm. yeah ba- basically you said you can be both and i think mm-hmm. and i know for like down here there's been quite a bit on the news and that and i, I don't know if it's the same for for you guys up there in in scotland where you know obviously we've had this lockdown okay you know restrictions are easing more for us than they are for you at the <laughs> moment unfortunately but you know restrictions restrictions are easing but during this lockdown period the number of people you know I've seen on social media the number of people that I know that have taken this time they've they've built a pond in their garden without lockdown they probably never would have done this um you know they they've built ponds in their garden they've put bug hotels up they've let part of their garden go wild or they've sown it to you know wildflowers and grasses people are noticing you know the birds that are coming into their gardens more and and I know I know there's there's a lot of debate about what will happen you know if will we go back to normal you know Mm. will we you know just kind of forget all this or you know will it will that interest that's kind of occurred out of the lockdown and out of the pandemic will that continue and I think if it continues in even just a small proportion of the number of people I think you know potentially that could definitely be a benefit and I know I mean my my one of my best friends and she's a biology teacher anyway but you know I've got you know a couple of other friends that have got got young children and you know they they've not been at school so they've tried to do as much as they can you know in their gardens and they've done some of this stuff for the children and you know just the other day I was talking to a friend and they they'll built this little makeshift pond in inverted commas in the garden mm-hmm. and she was like she sent me this picture and she's like what is it and I was like well it looks like either like a midge or like a mosquito larvae and something she was like "Ooh, yuck fly I'm gonna kill it I was like why why kill it you yeah. know she said but it's a fly it's horrible it's yucky I was like but no it's not it's you know it, it has a role it provides food for for you know other animals you know and there's some really cool stuff about in you know the larvae and that as well and I've managed to convince her to actually not kill it and keep it and you know just sent her some cool facts about it and said look you might not find it pretty cool but tell your boys tell the two boys these cool facts about this like little midge or mosquito larvae or whatever it is they I guarantee they will love it yeah and sure enough they absolutely did yeah it's bats as well they feed bats the other day we um we mm. spotted a bat flying across our garden which was an amazing sight and that it's because there's flies around, there's midges around, and it's the whole thing about they feed it. You may find flies annoying if you see them out and about or they're swarming your midges when they're biting you, but it's because these little things which people find as pests feed things like bats, which everybody loves bats. They're such amazing creatures. It's just it's an amazing thing to be able to see that, that even the smallest of um, most annoying of insects can feed something so cool and this whole thing how saying we've got midgy nymphs and midgy larvae in, in our pond and if they grow up they they become midges they'll fly around we could possibly see another bat in our garden feeding on those very midges yeah and I, I mean I know with the not so much in my pond because I don't have them in my pond but the wildlife pond that I built at my parents house you know there are like midgy mosquito larvae in there but you know the little froglets that haven't emerged yet are eating them <laughs> so you know that. Mm. That makes me happy because, you know, my frogs are getting fed and, you know, that just makes me really happy. Um, <laughs> but it's, you know, they're all part of, you know, an ecosystem. It's all so in connect, in, interconnected, um, you know, and if, if we didn't have, you know, if we did, didn't have like all these such as like midges or flies or whatever, and then we see a crash in bats, but then we see a big increase in midges and suddenly there's more midges and more mosquitoes around and we don't 
you know it's so interconnected and I think some people don't don't get that I mean you know my friend that wanted to kill the fly she's she's a little bit younger than me you know and I, I was genuinely quite horrified because you know she she's been through the book through my book with her boys it's been a real source of inspiration for them during lockdown and even though flies weren't mentioned in the first book it's you know I'm genuinely shocked that suddenly she's it's like a, a switch has flicked and that's it it's like oh no I can't be dealing with that because it's a fly yeah mm-hmm. poor old flies they always get a bad press another yeah. note on like mosquitoes and stuff is most of these flies only the female bites i let you make your own jokes and <laughs> and the males quite often pollinate flowers and if anyone's and if you haven't read it already i recommend it uh, erica's book um is it book of flies what it's called now erica McAllister's written a book on flies it's brilliant and in that she's talking about there's certain is it chocolate or something that without mosquitoes they wouldn't get pollinated so quite frankly you know <laughs> a bit of blood for some chocolates fine in my book yeah, yeah. And, and it's and, not and, like you know in this country uh, it's not like we have to worry about mosquitoes at no. the moment i'm gonna no. put an emphasis on at the moment um you know carrying diseases it's an annoyance it hurts and it i mean you don't feel the mosquito bite you and it itches you know like crazy for a couple of days and then it goes again you know it's not like we don't live in a country where we have to really be that concerned about these invertebrates or these insects and these flies and that actually giving us, you know, diseases other than ticks, obviously. But, you know, but I guess the same as, as spiders, isn't it? It's, you know, yeah. people being terrified of spiders and just wanting it to kill spiders when they see mm-hmm. them because they're going to bite them. I was like, they're really not. <laughs> no, not unless you annoy them. Yeah, so... <laughs> Brilliant. Was there anything anything you want to you know ask us or anything else you want to mention while you're yeah. while you're here? Well, there's a pine hoverfly I could talk about as well. I like pine hoverflies; they look good. Yeah, yeah. You have, you, have you looked for them? Haven't you? I seem to remember a video or something where you're looking for them or something. Um, well, we haven't looked for them this year yet, but we have looked for them previously, and that is uh, believed to be the rarest hoverfly in the UK, and it's because it's only found in rot stumps so these rot stumps are either man-made or created by the heart rot fungus which is a fungus that isn't around that much anymore so a lot of them are man-made stumps where it's pretty much a stump with a hole in it filled with some sawdust and wood chips filled with water these wood chips oh, yeah. release um, sugars bacteria feeds on the sugars and the larvae of the pine hoverfly feeds on the bacteria but it is still an increasingly rare species luckily there is a lot more data coming in than there was before but it, it unfortunately is still quite a rare species however there is a bit of a success story so obviously everything has to have some good about it and this one in our local zoo they have set up a breeding program for the pine hoverfly so they have got pine hoverfly adults uh, last year which mated laid eggs larvae came out which are stored in old and jam jars to pupate and grow up so it's not that glamorous oh, and it's it in a wee shed it's almost like a TARDIS I like to say it, it looks really small from the front because you just see the door you walk in and it's pretty big yeah. filled with all these pine hoverflies but um, they've set that up so this year the pine hoverflies that were eggs last year have mated again and oh, so this, this is amazing that we've now got them mating and it was at least 10 years ago the last pine hoverfly in the wild was seen it was ages ago and i've now managed to actually due to this uh, project and this breeding program i've actually managed to see 
a pine hoverfly larvae adult, a uh, pine hoverfly adult, which is an amazing thing. It is, it's, it's such a rare species. You would almost never find it out in the wild. It's up in these canopies. You wouldn't be able to tell it from this far, from a far distance. But it's just any other, if it's just not just a hoverfly rather than this very rare, rare hoverfly. So it's, it was a pretty cool thing to be able to see it for the first time. And probably I'm not going to see one in a long time. But this project continues in five, ten years. We could possibly seeing them flying around in in the wild again. Yeah, so this is one thing it's that amazing. doesn't happen very often, is it? Is captive breeding programs in vertebrates can mm-hmm. be done compared to something like a panda or something. It's done on a shoestring, <laughs> and you get such good results. It's yeah. I mean, you need to get the habitat sorted, but. I think it was what you talk about the um the cavities in the they literally they're chopping down a pine tree aren't they like they were got chopped down anyway and they cut was, did I see pictures of them they cut squares with a chainsaw into yes. them not very big ones and they, yeah and Philip Saunders oh, asked so simple but so effective <laughs> it's wonderful it's just like digging a pond for certain things just dig a pond build it and they'll come a lot of species that just love it yeah well one thing that they do on the man-made stumps that you wouldn't find in the in if it was a natural stump, was that they put this almost hat, so this chunk of uh, the tree on oh, top right. of the hole. So this uh, this hat does multiple things. It stops lizards eating the larvae, so then they get, there you go, a hoverfly that feeds lizards, which are another cool species. Oh, yeah. um, it stops snails or slugs or other insects falling into the, the water with all the bacteria, making it unusable. It stops too much water getting in, making the whole thing overflow again obviously killing the hoverfly as it's come out too early it uh, stops it from being too dry and not having enough water so it stops condensation and and evaporation from happening so it it does a lot of things this small thing that nobody would have noticed nobody would have thought but not only does it for the hoverfly it does it for us it makes it so much easier to find them if it's got the stump, this notable, noticeable stump on the top of it that we would see from quite far away. It makes it so much easier when surveying for it rather than having to check through every single stump we find, whether it could be a natural one that doesn't have anything in it or just a stump with a small hole in it. It, it makes it so much more helpful for us when trying to find the actual hoverfly. This is one of these microhabitats people don't always think about tree stumps, isn't it? There's a, a water beetle species, that's, again, very rare, that's only found in tree stumps. And there's a, a number of fly species, like mosquitoes and stuff, too. It's just, yeah, another one of these things that you'll find invertebrates in and not so much vertebrates usually. You're not going to find a fish in a tiny little pool like that. Well, I'll bet you in the tropics you will, but <laughs> not in the UK anyway. The whole thing, even when a tree has fallen down or is dead, it's still living inside. Oh, they say yeah. half the species in a woodland live in dead wood, yeah. not live trees. Mm. So it's, mm-hmm. it shows you that what we did wrong um, in previous decades was clearing it all up. And now we're starting yeah. to learn from our ways. So, so is, there, is there anything you want to ask either of us, Sander? Anything that springs to mind? No. <laughs> <laughs> I think you know far more than we do, Vic. <laughs> yeah. It could have been about anything. <laughs> I, I, I do need an excuse to um, come up to the Cangorns and survey the rivers again and i need to meet craig. have you met craig mcadam um head yes. of bug Bus- yeah i've never met craig so i've got to meet craig as well and, and now you're on the list as well so um, <laughs> maybe and, uk wildlife podcast needs to have a road trip i think so uh, we need to go and find some orange is it orange stripe stonefly i think is the endemic species up there i think i have had the larvae nymph larvae, Stonefly. There's uh, another one in February. So if you come up next year in February, if everything's open, open up again, 
uh, since Mrs. organized it, the northern silver stiletto fly, which is mm. another one of the very rare species. We might want to get Nick to come up as well for that one. <laughs> <That'd be good. laughs> yeah, he was saying um, uh, he wants to come up to for me to show him the Shining Guest Stand. I've also got Yule Williams from um, the the Watches wanting to come up for me to show him Kentish Glory. So <laughs> I've got a few people oh, in the list Kent- of the all these species we haven't even touched on oh, in, the, in the wonderful Cangorns. So I've, I have done the ptarmigan and all that stuff. I, I got the Northern Emerald. In fact, I saw the Northern Emerald as a nymph before I saw it as a um, Northern Emerald damselfly, I should say, rather than just talk. Sorry, not Northern Emerald. It's um, Northern damselfly, isn't it? Not Northern it's Emerald. It's Northern Red and Northern yeah. Blue as well. Yeah, Northern Blue. That's, that's what I've seen, the Northern Blue damsel. And that is... Yeah, it's quite a. It looks. It looks like a blue, but the nymph is really cool. It's got um, the lamellae on it, the tails. They have a fold halfway down, and a couple other species have something similar. But it literally a fold sort of ninety degrees to itself. <laughs> so it's like yeah. the tail's broken in the middle. It's really funny. But yeah, that was a rather nice little find for me. That's but, quite uh, a rare one, isn't it? Yeah, this. Uh, I think it was somewhere in the Abernethy Forest. I found it in one of the ponds there. Can't remember exactly where it was now. But uh, yeah, it was an. It was a known site for them. Unfortunately, I was hoping it'd be somewhere new. It's fine, it's still a good find. Yeah, still always good. Season, even though it is already there, still a good find to see yeah. it. You know, sometimes if we're looking for the dark border beauty moth, which is an, uh, another rare species, and we um, haven't found anything just to get our hopes up, we go to a site where it's, uh, quite, it's there quite a lot, and we go, oh, look, we found one. Yeah, it's, it's meant to be here, but it's fine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It gets our yep. hopes up that we, we've seen it and we remember what it looks like so we can go back out and try and find it exactly you have to um well you have to reward yourself sometimes anyway but also yeah. it does it just genuinely help you get your eyes in i have uh, quite a few things i've been to somewhere where it's been it's not a rare plant necessarily but i've seen lots of them and someone's identified it for me and i've gone back to somewhere more local and you start picking them out you start noticing them you just walk past them before yeah, yeah. that's a good good excuse yeah right so, well that seems like quite a nice place to round things up i think mm-hmm. now Sandy, you're on various social medias and you've got a youtube channel as well haven't you so did you yeah. want to tell us where to find people to find you online so my youtube channel is where i share all my knowledge and ideas on how to rewild your garden all the various rare species and cairngorms and you can find it at www.zanderjoe.co.uk or just search up Xander johnston and boy on youtube and that is with an x not a z the cool way of spelling it because <laughs> um, you're, you're also on instagram aren't you yeah so it's um my instagram is antboy396 where I post my various things that I'm up to. Cool. And I do I do recommend, I mean, both Neil and I follow you on Instagram anyway, and, you know, as ourselves and actually as, as the podcast, but I, I would definitely recommend, you know, go on there, you know, check out, check out the the youtube channel check out you know what he's up to on instagram as well you know please do kind of give him a follow and give him support as well because i think you know in all honesty Xander, i think you're an amazing inspiration you know not just to younger people but i think to adults and like every generation i think you're an amazing inspiration and you know please do just continue doing what you're doing mm-hmm. and keep us updated on what's going on as well yeah well um i have a conversation with Nick Baker uh, and and Vic, um, we call we call our sources of hope for the next generation. You're one of yeah. them, so uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so there we go. Yes, endorsed by more people than me. You are by fo- <laughs> 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 known naturalists. So well done. Um, not that I'm particularly well endorsed, but there we go. Um, <laughs> right. So um, I think we just need to say where to find us now. But first of all, thank you so much for coming on, Xander. It's very much appreciated. You've been a fantastic guest. Yeah, um, huge, huge thank, thank you for you. coming on, Xander, and and you know take care and 
carry on all that amazing work that you're doing. Yeah, you're good at this talking presenting not you should perhaps look into doing a podcast as well or a video <laughs> podcast of your own we'll just say where to find us i suppose now vic so it's a uk wildlife podcast on instagram so uk wildlife um pod on twitter and then we're uk wildlife podcast on facebook as well and don't forget you know you can send in questions um any sightings that you've been seeing as well you know neil and i've actually kind of had a chat and we've written down some really exciting and different subjects for the next few episodes so i'm going to say this now if you have any questions on any of the following please get them in as soon as possible and they are cetaceans around british waters that's whales and dolphins blue butterflies and we're also going to do freshwater habitats aren't we now yeah, I think the first first one we're going to do on that is uh, probably sort of your pond skaters and surface dwellers. We might start with that, I reckon. So anything specifically around that, but general pond ones as well, we might be able to squeeze in too. So yeah, yeah, we're probably going to start going through the different groups of pond life, I think, maybe not systematically, <laughs> because it's quite a big topic to cover. So we might have to break it down a bit. The surface dwelling bugs it's going to be. So your pond skaters, water measurers, water crickets and stuff, what I've been looking at recently. We're going to cover the, the blue butterflies because... Yeah, for me, I think out of all the butterfly species that we have here, they are the most exciting given that they have the relationships with the ant species. And uh, I'm lucky to have a couple of large blue butterfly sites uh, close to where I live yes. as well. So, it... Well, thanks again, Xander. Um, yeah, thank you and... very much again. Yeah. And uh, to steal the quote from Nick Baker, stay safe and stay sane. <laughs> yeah, we'll, uh, we'll catch you next time, everyone. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.